This episode is brought to you by Vineyard Sun. Vineyard Sun is a local Austin company that makes quality sunglasses made from sustainable materials. You can see their styles on vineyardsun.com or follow them on Instagram at vineyard underscore sun. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Moon Tower Business Podcast. This is your host, Joseph O'Bell, and today we're speaking to Preston James. Preston, how are you today? I'm doing great, Joseph. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Preston, um, Preston is the CEO and co-founder of uh, Div Inc. here in Austin. And uh, I guess, Preston, before we kind of get into... Uh, what Div Inc. does. Um, can you talk a little bit about your uh, background and professional experiences uh, before before uh, Div Inc.? Sure. Um, so very quickly, you know, I'm a native New Yorker, uh, born and raised. Uh, I went to um, college at Howard University in Washington, D.C. That's a predominantly historically Black college university. And um, in uh, 1993, I joined Dell uh, Jeff Dell at the time, Dell Computers, um, and um, and uh, Dell you know, took me to Atlanta and then eventually brought me here in 1997 to Austin. Uh, spent the vast majority of my career IT technology consulting and sales um, across various different segments and industries. Um, you know, served in uh, leadership roles at the regional level, national as well as global, and. Um, so um, and I actually um, ended up taking early retirement from Dallin in 2014 after 20 years um, at the company. And, uh, and, and then, you know, that, that was, you know, the vast majority of my career was at Dallin and, you know, other uh, technology consulting um, uh, organizations prior to then. So um, that's super interesting. I mean, can, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what Dell looked like in 1993. I mean, that, that must've been, we, we know what it looks like today. And you know, you, you know what a Dell computer looks like today and kind of what the company is like, but like in 1993, I mean, how was that? Oh man, it was, um, it was probably, kind of, it was kind of wild actually, because the way I was recruited into Dell was that um, there were a couple of friends of mine who were also co-workers of mine from a previous company that we both worked at. And, and we left the company, that company at the same time. And they went to Dell, and I went to some small, you know, really small company, federal contractor. And uh, they, you know, long story short, they recruited me to come to Dell. And, you know, it was really funny to me because I had spent the early part of my career, you know, working with computers and, and everything else. So I knew of all the computers in the industry, and I had never heard of Dell. And <laughs> yet here I was being convinced you know, by my buddies to come join me, a computer company that I never heard of in a city that I didn't even know anything about. I'm like, where, where is Austin, Texas? I've never even heard of Austin. Being an East Coast person, right? You don't know squat about, um, you know, and um, Dell itself, I came down for an interview and I got lost. That's number one, because the, the roads were all, you know, and then Dell was in the Arboretum, uh, in that tall building in the Arboretum. I think they had like three or four floors in, in, in Dell, you know, that was it, three, three floors. 
And it was a really entrepreneurial, um, you know, no holds barred type of attitude. You know, everybody was go getting fast paced. Um, and, you know, what I understood too was that, you know, I was busting at the seams. They had engineering and space all over, you know, in the Breaker campus and, uh, and, and, you know, did my interviews and the interviews were hilarious. I did like eight interviews. They were all very, very different. I mean, one, we were taking a walk through the Arboretum. Another one I walked in and the guy was just cussing up the storm, you know, like a, you know, like a sailor. And I was just like, what's he cussing at? You know, <laughs> you know what's going on here? Um, and then another one, you know, was with the VP, was very kicked back and you know, relaxed. I mean, it was just really different. And uh, I did the interview and boom, I was back out to DC. They said, you got the job. Dude, I, I literally started and I had no equipment. I had nothing. It was like day one, show up. You know, I showed up at a customer site, you know, <laughs> with my buddies. And it was like, go, right? No, no, you know, it was about a week before I got my training and anything. Um, the, the product training was in a textbook. It was a textbook about that thick. Here, read this. This is all the equipment. I never saw the computers that I actually learned about that I was supposed to be selling. So I never saw them until I went to a trade show, you know? So, and, and it was just so... Um, and, and that was just the way you had to play with that. You know, you just had to just go, right? Um, going to sites, things changing very quickly, picking up the phone, we need this, we need that, ship this, ship that, be here, go there. Um, and, you know, uh, it was just great, man. It was just really fast-paced, chaotic, uh, build as you go, learn as you go. Um, I loved it. And it was like that probably for, you know, the first, I don't know, uh, I would say probably the first seven, six, seven years, it was just like that, you know, just nonstop. So uh, that made the run just really, you know, just fantastic. So great career at Dell. That's awesome. That's super exciting that you had to, you got to experience, uh, you know, a successful company at that stage when you're it's it's fairly new and it's just kind of growing and you get to see it and be part of it and experience it that that's amazing yeah, so it, it, it was and here's here's a funny story another funny story really short one this was my that was my actually my second um kind of startup that i was with the first one and i didn't know that it was actually a startup i just thought it was a small company the first one I had joined was called Quantum Computer Services in 1988 or so. And um, it, it started like in customer service um, and, you know, answering phone calls or whatever. And it was a online, um, online uh, uh, computer service, uh, what do you call it? Um, where you can communicate, chat, like chatting back and forth with people, messaging rooms and stuff like that. Yep. Way before it became popular. And um, lo and behold, right, this company, I was with them probably for about 18 months. I left that company to go to another company because I got an $8,000 raise, okay, eight to $10,000 raise. At the time I was leaving, this company was handing out white pieces of paper for you to sign to say, you know, if you want some stock options. Right. And I said, I, I need I need green paper. I need I need cash money. Right. 
about three years later, about, I think it was about three years later, uh, that company became America Online. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so when I was there, Steve Case was like the vice president of marketing. And I used to go by his office trying to get into the marketing department, right? And But I left before, you know, that opportunity came. And uh, so lo and behold, it became America Online. And, you know, people that I know that were friends of mine at the company retired at age 30, 31, 32. Those would have so been some nice, uh, nice stock options. <laughs> So sometimes white paper beats green paper, you know, you never know. paper, scissors. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so also in your career, you, uh, you were part of a, or you, you're a co-founder of an angel network. Um, can you talk about your experience in that? And was that, where was that? And uh, kind of what kind of, uh, what kind of deal flow did you see? Yeah. So, um, you know, for, for me, when I started, you know, as a mentor, um, in the startup ecosystem back in, I think it was 20, late 2014. Um, and then I became an angel investor. Uh, I was invited to become part of the Central Texas Angel Network, which, you know, it was the largest angel network in Austin at the time. And, but be- between being a mentor at Capital Factory, being an angel investor in Central Texas Angel Network, going to various demo days, um, you know, it just became very obvious and apparent that there was just a lack of, you know, um, uh, black folks, lack of, you know, Hispanic folks, uh, lack of women that were getting the opportunity to get in front of investors. And, um, you know, so that was one problem. The second problem is when they did get in front of investors, very few of them were actually getting uh, actual investment. And, and to me, you know, that was definitely skewed. There was definitely some bias in there. And, uh, you know, for me, I was like, this is, you know, we have to, you know, got to change this, right? We've got to f- figure out something. So, um, you know, I decided, hey, let's, let's, let's try to, you know, build something where we can get financial capital, you know, invested into specifically black and brown women, underrepresented entrepreneurs, and the, uh, the original founder of Central Texas Angel Network, uh, his name is Jamie Rhodes. Uh, he and I were in a meeting and, you know, we had a follow-up meeting, we had lunch. He's like, hey, I, I wanna help you guys start an angel network focused on, you know, uh, black founders and brown founders. And so we went down that path um, to try to build uh, the angel network. And uh, we got it off the ground. Uh, we got to about six or seven angel investors, but we couldn't really get to a critical mass uh, in 2014, 2015. And, um, you know, one lesson learned, uh, you know, Joseph, you know, was that I ch- we tried to build it with only uh, black and brown investors, right? As opposed to opening it up to, you know, any, um, anybody that wanted to invest in black and brown founders and women founders. So I think we limited ourselves too early um, and we didn't have, you know, really a, the population here in Austin that understood angel investing, right? From, from a black and brown perspective, they didn't understand angel investing in startups. So it was a really steep curve uh, to, um, 
to 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 climb. So when we started E3, it was called E3 Angel Network, and um, so we got it off the ground, but um, we just really didn't get a chance to take off. But what came out of that uh, process was through the angel investment process, I recognized that a lot of underrepresented founders um, they were coming to the investment table some, somewhat disadvantaged because they didn't always understand um, what they needed to bring to the table for investors to write a check um, in terms of what their business needed to look like and what stage they needed to be at um, and how to ask for it, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, the, the, other, the other aspect was, you know, um, how do we how do we teach them that right? How do we get them there, and then how do we teach them, um, you know, what they need to do? And so, out of all of those learnings, really, it was you know how Divink was born out of all of those learnings. And I guess you could say the failure of the E three Angel Network led to um, Divink being born. Very interesting. Very interesting. Before we uh, switch gears into and jump into Divink. Um, I want to let you know, I think one of your prior uh, cohort members was on the podcast before, uh, Jessica Gaffney, who is now leading uh, Women at Austin, and they started the Beam, Beam Angel Network. I yeah. believe she was part of, of one of your companies, uh, your cohort of Div Inc. a while back. Is that right? Yes, she was. Um, so Jessica, I think she's in cohort uh, number three, I believe, and um now she came in with her co-founder with her pro mama uh, uh, startup, which I thought was great because it, it was focused on women. It was hitting a, a you know a really interesting you know sweet spot there, um, and she was you know she was having some success, kind of you know strumming a little bit, but um, so she eventually decided to close it down, uh, and then this opportunity with women at Austin popped up. And it was really interesting because, you know, Jessica, you know, reached out, we reached out, we were talking to each other and she's like, you know, well, this really an Austin opportunity came up. And I said, I just asked her, I said, Jessica, do you want this position or, you know, what's the deal? And she's like, no, 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 I, I, I really want it. And uh, so because we were in partnership with Notley Ventures, and I knew Dan Graham very, very well. And I knew Jessica really, really well. Um, I thought Jessica was the perfect person to, to take it over. So I made my pitch to Dan uh, to, to say, hey, you know, she's the one, right? This, this is the one you, you need to really look at. And, and, and she could take it to where you wanted to go. And uh, sure enough, they took Jessica in and she has been uh, really outstanding. I think she's, you know, leveraged a lot of the learnings that she had from her startup and used that um, knowledge and that expertise and, and uh, to really, you know, get to a point where they have been. And so um, I'm super excited for her, what they're doing. And we continue to try to find ways to work with each other. So um, I'm, I'm like ecstatic for her. That's great. I mean, she she's awesome. It's it's good to see what what she's doing at uh, Women at Austin and the Beam Angel Network. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's very interesting that you uh, you know you worked on that uh, uh, Angel Network E three and you took some lessons from what you observed uh, as part of that and and you and you uh, started Div Inc. Talk talk about what Div Inc. is, what everything you guys do, 
um, and uh, and when that got started. Yeah, sure. So you know, Divin is a, a startup ecosystem builder, right? Uh, but our our, our core uh, uh, of what we offer is a startup accelerator program, and it is a twelve week uh, tech startup accelerator program specifically for underrepresented entrepreneurs. And uh, it's, it's a three month, 12 week process. Um, each program uh, on average will have 10 companies and uh, we run it twice, uh, twice a year. And so um, every, every year about 20, about 20 companies come through there. Um, and uh, we, we, we go through all the companies that are coming in typically at the MVP, minimum buyout and uh, typically pre-revenue or early revenue companies. And, uh, and the reason why we focus on this early stage is because you know, we recognize that there was a gap between you know, this venture capital you know, where you have you know, people raising a million dollars or so, but the question is how do you get to that point, right? And, and that, was, you know, that was a gap at, you know, in the startup ecosystem in general, but even more so for uh, underrepresented founders. It's like, you know, how do we provide the foundation and the tools and access to those resources? Um, and what Divine really is focused on specifically is addressing three major uh, uh, barriers uh, to, to entry into the startup ecosystem. Uh, they all start with, you know, access to the education, best practices, know-how of how to build a successful startup company, right? The second is around um, access to the human social capital, the networks, the mentorship, the talent pools, um, you know, um, serial entrepreneurs and things of that sort. Those are really, really critical. And then the third aspect is access to financial capital, right? And so Diving's program is based on providing that education. Uh, we do workshops that take people from, you know, the business model, revenue model, market research and opportunity, um, go to market planning, you know, all through financial uh, uh, modeling and projections. And so we take them through that, the workshops and it's a experiential learning accelerator. So you're working on your business while you're while you're learning, uh, you know, uh, th these best practices. Um, and, and and then along with that, we also provide you know pitch coaching. We say pitch coaching, but it's more like executive uh, communication, right? It's how do you articulate the value proposition of your business so that you can acquire customers, partners. Um, you know, hire, be able to hire people into your company, people need to understand exactly what it is you're trying to accomplish, what problem you're trying to solve, and, and, how, and what the vision of that company is. Um, so Divink provides that, the Startup Accelerator. Uh, we do that twice a year. Uh, to date, we've, we've had uh, over 85 founders, 63 companies that have been launched or accelerated through our uh, program. Uh, generating hundreds of jobs uh, throughout Austin and throughout Texas. Um, we've also had a um, Startup Sisters Initiative, which is uh, focused on women of color entrepreneurs. And, and many people don't, may not know this, but women of color, uh, Black, Latinas, uh, uh, 
uh, Pacific Islanders, you know, uh, um, Native Americans are the fastest growing entrepreneur demographic in the United States, but they are also the most underfunded, right? And, um, and as you and I probably both know that, you know, the women of color are a very strong force within those communities. And so if we can empower them to be successful business owners, um, the, you know, social economic dynamics can change very significantly be, because of that. So we've got to focus our, our Startup Sisters initiative focused on, on uh, women of color entrepreneurs. And, um, and so that, that's, that's what we've been doing for the last four years. Um, as we move forward, um, you know, we've also announced our expansion into Houston. So we'll be taking that programming that we do here in Austin and we'll expand that uh, to Houston. Uh, the last thing I will share with you is that um, this year, as a result of you know, the pandemic and also um, the, the, the economic, social, racial awakening through the George Floyd and, and many others, we actually launched a social justice innovation accelerator um, that was focused on uh, bringing innovation and uh, social justice, racial justice activism into one space so that we can accelerate um, the development and the introduction of solutions uh, that will eradicate um, uh, racial inequities in our society due to uh, racism and, and bias, institutional racism and bias. So, um, so that was very, very successful that we ran in the fall. Um, so all in all, you know, as we run our programs, uh, supporting entrepreneurs, we're building this a broader ecosystem that's more authentically, you know, diverse, it's equitable, more, you know, inclusive because we're bringing more people of color into the fold. And so we're seeing this transformation of the Austin startup ecosystem, slow transformation, but it, it's a transformation that's being, you know, that's broadening the ecosystem um, as a result of, you know, um, our efforts and those uh, others that we're collaborating with as well. The people are becoming more intentional um, and, um, you know, with their efforts to be more inclusive. So uh, that's, that's the, the, the big, uh, uh story, if you will. That's amazing. And hats off to you for, for all your efforts. I, it's, very important to kind of really, I think, try to help uh, diversify this space. You know what I mean? I, I think I told you I was, uh, I worked for a startup fund before uh, and I was in 2014 and seeing the applications coming in for funding uh, the companies that were pitching, there's not a lot of diversity there, you know, and that, and that was 2014. Yeah. And, you know, it, there, it's just so important to do that. And I, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, and, and people, it, it's really interesting because, you know, you know, there are clearly there are policies in place that make it more difficult, right, for, you know, for, and, and for women. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're focused on, you know, the behavior side, right? We're, we're focusing on the, the, the people side and how do we bring people together, communicating, collaborating uh, uh, together, and what we've seen is that, you know, as we do that, people get to understand each other more. They, you know, more empathy in understanding the dynamics, right, uh, that people are facing. 
and, and they start working together, right? Not in a charitable way, right? Because, you know, you have, um, you know, a demographic of people that you may not have been exposed to, right? On both sides, right? You know, uh, entrepreneurs who have never been exposed to uh, a large group of white angel investors or venture capital or all these mentors, uh, they would never have been exposed to them, right? And, and, and it's vice versa, right? Venture capital, um, you know, I, I mean, I use this example a lot. You know, if you and I were sitting, if, if, if you can imagine someone sitting on $100 million to invest in companies, you literally do not have to get up out of your chair to go find deals to invest in. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, but those deals are going to come from your network. And your network looks like you, you know what I mean? And so when you talk about, hey, Preston, talk to me about this network. I mean, we're here, our door is wide open. We'll look at any companies. But, you know, folks will tell you all day long, you know, warm intros will get you into the door, right? You know, but how do I get a warm intro if I'm not even connected to the guy that's connected to the guy that has the money? Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, oh, yeah, man, you got a good point. But I mean, I'm easy to find. Just call me. I mean, dude, I don't even, most people don't even know where to start. That's right. You know what I mean? And, and, and so that's where, you know, that's where Divink just sort of like just breaks it down, right? We're just like, you know, just come in, you know, um, and, and come into our culture, come into our community, and we will bring the resources to you. We will get you acclimated and immersed into it and then sort of let you fly from there. You know what I mean? Once you're in, we'll, 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 we'll get you to, to fly. And, and so I think that's been the beauty of what, you know, what we've been able to accomplish is to create you know, a, a space where people from the outside are, are coming to us and people, you know, entrepreneurs are coming in and they're going to the outside. So now people are coming, you know, they're, they're really collaborating, getting more visibility to each other. Uh, we still have more barriers to break down, right? But, um, you know, like I said, you know, making progress and, and people are understanding better the culture and the community um, that we need to build in order to support uh, a broader set of, of demographics in this space. Absolutely. Um, one follow-up question to kind of the description you gave of uh, Div Inc. and the entrepreneurs and companies that are part of the accelerator program. Um, are, is there a particular sectors of business that you that you prefer, or how does that work in terms of the types of companies that are, are trying to apply? Yeah, um, we, we are industry agnostic, right? Um, you know, tech or tech, you know, tech-focused companies. Um, the majority of the companies have been, you know, business to business. Um, we have had business to consumer or direct to consumer companies, but you know, it's it's open for the most part in terms of the industries that they um, they they can they play in. Um, we've had everything from you know healthcare to education technology to you know, IoT companies to um, food technology companies, beauty tech, you know. Just a gamut, right? Um, and we will continue to 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 keep it open and, and, and provide those opportunities and, and really kind of find pathways for them after they leave the bank to really accelerate their growth. Gotcha. Um, can you talk about just one of the one of your companies, uh, a little success story that that uh, of one of your cohort companies in the in the past? 
yeah, we've had you know uh, a couple of uh, you know pretty good successes. You know, considering early stage, um, we've had you know um, Kim Braxy, who's a beauty technology company. She basically had a brick and mortar shop. Um, and uh, basically closed that up shop to build an e-commerce e uh, business. And, uh, and uh, you know, Kim had like somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 4,000, 5,000 customers, you know, that had gone through her brick and mortar. And now she's flourishing as e-commerce, beauty tech, um, uh, natural uh, products for specifically for women of, of color, which is very, very unique. Um, we also had a, another company um, by uh, Farhaj. Uh, the name of the company is called Canna. Uh, it was in the cannabis industry, so it basically supports you know the gig economy in the cannabis industry. Um, and, and he's gone on to uh, raise a five hundred thousand uh, dollar seed round recently. Uh, so he continues to to grow. Um, we had a sports technology company called Explosion Technology. Um, they actually had a, a sensor-based technology to help athletes identify early injuries before they actually got injured, right? Any warning signs of any leg injuries. They have a sensing data and um, analytics technology to be able to uh, make that assessment. Uh, they were very successful in securing um, a couple of rounds of SBIR grants. So I think their total is now up to $750,000 in, in funding, right, for, for, for their business. And uh, uh, the co-founders, um, Isis and Keelan, uh, actually came to do with seniors at uh, Prairie View University. And so now, you know, just to watch these college students you know, and, you know, they're three, three or four years into their um, startup business now and, and, and really um, have a, you know, a national name for themselves and continue to, to grow. So, um, you know, those are just sort of three uh, of the stories we've got going on. Um, you have a healthcare company on Maven Health by Gerald McDonald um, that is really providing uh, artificial intelligence technology to help you know, medical facilities are better, uh, well, avoid a huge expense for them, which is um, no-shows for, uh, for their appointments. So a lot of people don't know when people don't show up, you know, for those doctor appointments, the cost to the, to the medical offices is uh, quite significant. And, and so if they can, you know, proactively uh, manage that and fill those holes, and they can reduce those loss expenses uh, tremendously. So, Omega Health is in the process of, of, of growing as well. So, great companies um, that are, you know that are still growing. Um, and then we have some on the social justice innovation side. We have you know just this week um, one of our uh, founders um, in in that uh, in that uh, cohort that was in the fall. Uh, just sent us a note that, you know, she's, you know, uh, talking with several states right now to implement her solution uh, across those, I think it's going to be California and two or three other states uh, before the end of 2021. So she's, she's, you know, cranking it up pretty, pretty well. 
and um, was very grateful for her experience at, at Dibbing to help her craft, you know, uh, a really strong business model for her. So great stories, um, more to come. And um, you know, we're really, really proud of all of those um, founders that are still active with their businesses, um, as well as those who, you know, had to close their doors, but now they're serving as leaders in other organizations, folks like, you know, Jessica, um, that are, you know, ha have moved, you know, moved on to, you know, uh, programs like that. So we're super, super excited um, about the progress that, that we're seeing. And um, yeah, so I'll, I'll stop there. I can no, keep going. That, and I know somebody's knocking on my door right now. I hear Roman Gonzalez saying, hey, Preston, what about me? And, you know, Roman, Roman has got Gardena, and, and Gardena is a, a garden technology, food tech um, company, and uh, uh, Roman's going to be doing some great things in, in Austin as well. So look out for Gardena as well. Very nice. I mean, it's, it's one thing that you're able to help these entrepreneurs out and uh, to help them be successful, but to be in the middle of all that exciting innovation is, is rewarding, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, and, you know, the, the as these, you know, startup founders go over, you know, three, four or five years into, you know, what they're doing, they end up being way, way smarter than me, right, in terms of, you know, the startup industry, right, their connections, you know, their know-how, their experiences, uh, they're going to wait, they're going to know way more than me. And, and they got, you know, some of them are already serving as mentors for some of the up and coming new cohorts. I think it's just, you know, you, you look at the long tail of what's being produced, right? As these folks come in, whether their businesses fail or they succeed, the knowledge and the network and the connections they build, they can pass that on, right, to their friends, their families, and to others. And so the network uh, of knowledge and wisdom gets spread into, you know, those underrepresented communities a lot faster as a result of, you know, the experiences they get both from doing and, and as the, on their own, as they can continue to build on their successes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, can you touch a little bit about on, um, you know, what it's like to run an accelerator for startups uh, during this difficult time, you know, the pandemic, I'm sure, you know, traditionally uh, folks would meet in person uh, and get together and go over stuff. Um, are you doing a lot more like virtual meetings? Uh, and then also, can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that your cohort com companies are facing because of the pandemic? Yeah. So, um, so when the pandemic hit in March, uh, we, we were a hundred percent in-person accelerated program. So folks were coming in and, you know, four days a week, spending the hours, you know, uh, with us, um, and the pandemic you know, the shutdown, I think it was around the 14th of March or something like that. Um, and our cohort was supposed to start, was to start April 1st. And so with the pandemic, we quickly switched to 100% virtual in basically less than three weeks, right? And we did that very successfully. Um, and, and a huge thanks to Brooke Turner, who's our, our VP of programs. Uh, she quickly turned that around and, and, and built the virtual accelerator. So all of this year, all of 2020, we, we did virtual programming, virtual events, virtual accelerator. Um, 
And uh, that will continue as long as we're in the, you know, in the lockdown and pandemic. Um, the key, you know, the key challenge for us is, you know, I talked about the culture, I talked about the community. How do you deliver that, you know, that family culture and feel and community virtually, right? right. And, and, and so uh, that's what we've been really focused on is, is, you know, trying to still deliver that on the virtual side. Um, and I think we got it pretty good, right? It's not as good as probably, you know, face-to-face, -face, obviously, but I think we've done as well as we can do to really bring that feel and let people feel like they are part of something, you know, bigger than themselves, right? It's something they can call home uh, in, in terms of their, you know, startup experience, right? Whether you're two years out, three years out, you can always come back to Divvy. So uh, it's been thumbs up there. Divvy being a nonprofit, um, we were concerned, right? As a nonprofit from the funding perspective, you know, what were the corporations and the foundations going to do? How are they going to respond? And uh, we've been blessed and very fortunate that it was a, a very positive response to, um, from the organizations in wanting to support efforts to, you know, for underrepresented communities. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that we have been doing the work and the heavy lift for four years already, you know, companies wanted to, con to continue to support Devink's efforts. So, you know, we've been able to, you know, financially um, not just weather the pandemic storm, but, you know, really kind of thrive in that, in, in, in that storm and prepare us for, for 2021. So that's been, that's been awesome. For our founders, um, you know, I want to say probably almost all of them had to pivot their businesses in some way, shape, or form, whether it was the, you know, logistics and supply chain or their business model or how, you know, their sales, go-to-market plan, uh, many of them had to pivot. Um, some had to uh, close their doors. Um, you know, a couple had to close their doors because they just could not get the traction anymore because of their market they were in. In particular, you look at, you know, places like, you know, travel. The travel industry took a, you know, a, a very, very difficult uh, hit. Um, and then, you know, uh, budgets were being affected at the corporate level. So, you know, corporations couldn't be as generous as they wanted to be in terms of you know, trying new innovative, uh, you know, methodologies or, or products. But, um, you know, I, I think the, the other, you know, and part of that challenge too was that I think it forced the um, founders to come closer together and, and talk more with each other because the mental health aspect of being an entrepreneur is tough. Um, in regular times, right? And you're out there alone doing the work, um, there's not a, a whole lot of people that understand what you're going to other, other than other, other founders, right, that you can talk to. So I think many of them uh, reached out to each other for support, right, um, you know, uh, to, to kind of get through and work through from the business perspective as well as from the, from the wellness and, and mental uh, health aspect. Uh, so, um but, you know, they're thriving, you know, a lot of them are still thriving and pushing through, 
uh, in, in making it and persevering through this, this, this time period. And uh, we, we're there to continue to support them, you know, every step of the way. That's great stuff. Uh, Preston, I, I've taken a lot of your time. I have a couple final questions for you here to, to wrap up. Um, you've been uh, involved in, in different areas of the business and startup ecosystem. You're involved in a, in a angel fund. Uh, you've, you're, uh, you started Div Inc. And, and you're leading that. Uh, I'm sure you've heard a lot of pitches in your time. And uh, I guess what is from listening to pitches from entrepreneurs and startup companies, what's one thing that stands out to you that, that you think is important uh, to hear from an entrepreneur uh, as an investor um, considering making an investment in the company? And then the final question is what's your favorite restaurant in Austin? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, let me try to answer both of them. Um, so I, I think what, what people need to understand is that these barriers um, to be a successful entrepreneur are real, right? Um, and I laid them out, you know, the education piece, the network, and I would say the network is, is as critical as the financial piece, right? And it just depends on where you are, but that network and the connections and, you know, um, don't they lead to opportunities, right? And if you're not in that, you know, they don't have the connections, they can't get the introductions, they can't get access to the opportunities, right, to get in front of investors, but opportunities to get in front of customers. Those, those are real barriers, right? And only we can change that through our behavior. So, you know, my recommendation is for those who are mentors, those who are investors, you know, you know, lean in a little, you know, lean in more, right? Lean in more, be more empathetic, and, and, and make some stuff happen you know, for these entrepreneurs. Make the connections, make the intros. Um, and if they're not quite ready, help them get ready, right? Don't just point them in a direction, but help them in a real way get ready uh, because they are capable, right? Um, and there's no doubt about it. That's, that's not even an, an issue of whether or not they're, they're, they're capable. The other thing is financial capital is, is, is you know, the financial capital and access to financial capital is real. It is very, very real. Whether you're looking at, you know, oh, get business loans, debt financing, you know, Black and Latino, historically, the reports show that they get, you know, rejected from business loans at a much higher rate than their, their white, you know, peers. So there's not a lot of optimism there, right? And, and there's some policies and stuff that goes on behind closed doors that we can't repair immediately, right? The banks and the financial institutions, they need to figure that out. Um, so we need to find alternative ways, right? We need people to get more creative and more innovative in terms of how do we provide financial capital to these entrepreneurs. In order to grow our businesses and scale our businesses, most companies need financial capital, right? Um, in, in some aspects, um, you know, a really key piece to understand is that, you know, um, and this happened to me early in my, in my angel investor days, I had a founder go talk to, uh, so I recommended they go talk to an angel investor and that angel investor told them, say, Hey, just, you know, just go raise friends and family round from your aunts and uncles. And they walked away. They were so pissed 
because, you know, it was like, don't you understand? I am my aunt and uncle. I, I am the wealthiest person in my family. And so I don't have a friends and family network. And the vast majority of, you know, um, underrepresented founders that I have worked with don't have that access to friends and family. And so for, for those who can get 50,000 or 200,000 friends of friends, friends and family network, God bless them, man. But that, you know, the vast majority of underrepresented founders, or even women to a, a large degree, don't have that. So what's the gap for us? You know, how do we fill that gap? And so we need to come in and lean into that space and, and recognize that and, and be creative and innovative in how we do it. Maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be 500,000 upfront, you know, maybe it's 100, you know, let me get you going here. Then there's another 200 when you hit milestones and maybe there's another 200, you know, and that's 500, you know, if I did my math correctly, but that's 500, right? It, it's just a different way of doing it. But the fact of the matter is, getting that financial capital to get that chance, right? To get that opportunity, we need to make that. So uh, please, please lean in with DeVink, lean in with, with others. We're, we're happy, um, you know, to talk with people to see, you know, how we can, you know, help uh, underrepresented founders get there. All right, so now the big question, right? About favorite restaurant, so I haven't been to a restaurant, God knows, about 10 months. So, I, you know, I, I told us that I was running uh, blank. But what came to me were, um, I was thinking about Perry's downtown, uh, and they have some incredible, um, just some incredible dishes. Um, amazing, and just, you know, just, just sweet potatoes and the pork chops and the steaks and, and, and all of that. It's just awesome. And I was trying to think of this other restaurant, Joseph, that has this amazing paella, but I can't remember the name. And I'm a, I love paella. I love, love paella. And I can't remember the name of this, uh, this restaurant um, that I've been to twice, but it's East Side. But those are, those are my two. You asked for one, but I gave you two. I appreciate it, but I want you to get back to me because I want to know which one it is. <laughs> I'm going to get it on that list. I, I can see the name of it. I'll get it for you. Preston, thank you so much, man. Hey, listen, back to your, your previous point. Uh, that really hit home. You know, I, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. And, and to think about sometimes like a lot of people I know and in, in, in a certain time in my life, uh, if I had to, to reach out to my friends and family to, to get a round of funding for, for a new venture that I was going to start on, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? It just yeah. like, and so like, I really never thought about it that way. And there is a lot of people that are, smart, capable, driven, uh, that have a great idea and have a, a great team that they just don't have what like that network or resources to get started. And, uh, you know, it's important to, to make that available to folks like that. And it, and it, yeah. And it holds them back. Um, you know, and I, I, I didn't share this, and I know we're, we're at the, we're at the end, but you know, a lot of people don't know this, but the data that came out, from like the small business um, uh, and also the uh, census, small business research. And I'm using this as an example, right? But the black business owners and Hispanic business owner numbers are 
similar, but out of the like 2.6, almost 3 million black owned businesses in, in the United States, only 3% of those actually had employees. Okay. I don't know if you heard me correct. Only 3% of those 3 million businesses had employees. Right. And I think for the Hispanic community, I think it was like, um, six or 7% actually have employees. Right. And when you compare that with white owned businesses, you know, 25, 22, 25% of their businesses, um, have employees. Right. So roughly you're saying two out of 10 of the companies have employees. And, you know, the big difference with that is that those companies with employees generate significantly amount more revenue on average than companies without employees. Right. Right. And, and so one of those barriers could be funding, right? Uh, access to capital, financial capital, or even if it's know-how, how do we get more of those companies to scale and create jobs and, and income and revenue and wealth, business equity, wealth opportunities? So that's where, you know, we've just got to get more. Um, we just have to dig in and, and do more of a heavy lift around that. Um, you know, and there's, you know, let, let's not hold our back just because somebody looks different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because somebody looks different and saying we can't do that um, doesn't make any sense. That's that's based on fear, on, you know, uh, some sort of power struggle. You know, we all want the same thing. We all want this country to be awesome. We all want some level of, you know, to live in comfort and live in peace and, and not have to suffer, you know, socially or economically. Um, you know, and then we all want that. So, you know, let's let's work together and make it happen. Couldn't agree anymore. Preston James, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast and sharing your story, talking about uh, your experience at Div Inc. How can folks find out more about uh, Div Inc. online? Yeah, so they can go to uh, www.divinc.org. Um, they can also reach out to me directly at Preston at divinc.org and uh, they can hit either one and you can see everything that's going on with us um, you know if anybody particularly is interested in becoming you know a partner uh, or a funder um, sponsor of divinc uh, either as an individual or on a corporate level please please reach out we, we, we do really well partners absolutely uh, President thank you so much and uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime Thank you, man. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you have a good one. Thank you.